Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another edition of Nakubo in Brief. This is Liz Clark. I'm Vice President for Policy and Research at Nakubo. And today I'm delighted to be speaking with Paul Frigga, who has been joining Nakubo for some very important work in response to the coronavirus pandemic and how it's changing higher education. Paul, please tell us a little bit about yourself and about the masterclass that you're running at Nakubo. Thanks, Liz. Uh, Happy to be part of this. I hope everyone's having a good workout as you listen to this podcast, because staying healthy and relaxed during all of this is very important. Of course, I'm not a health professional. That's just a layman's advice. I'm Paul Frigg. I'm a clinical associate professor of strategy at the UNC Keenan Flagler School of Business. I've been a professor for 20 years. In previous lives, I worked for McKinsey and Company as a strategic consultant in the higher ed space and other spaces, as well as PricewaterhouseCoopers as an auditor, CPA, CMA, and turnaround bankruptcy consultant. But my real passion is higher ed. So I have a PhD in strategy, and my research is on helping higher ed institutions become more efficient and effective. And, and it was an interesting mix of my backgrounds that, that that came to surface when the pandemic hit, and I've been doing nothing but writing and researching and helping universities since then. One of the biggest things I did, Liz, as you're aware, is form the ABC Insights Consortium, a Helio campus company that actually helps universities get better benchmarking data related to human capital so they can make better decisions. And you, needless to say, a lot of universities are making big workplace decisions as we speak. So uh, delighted to be here. The program, the masterclass, is a five-part series done with Jim Hunreiser and you and others at Nakubo. Uh, and we have over 70 CFOs who meet with us uh, in these two-hour sessions. And, and we've just been going over great topics, inviting subject matter experts in, really with this theme in mind, surviving the pandemic, but also positioning your universities for better growth and better outcomes after the pandemic. Prior to the arrival of COVID-19 and the changes that we've seen as a result of the pandemic, we've been talking a lot about the need for colleges and universities to transform. The sector was undergoing some challenges and some shifts. And I think in some respects, people have seen that change as slow or more talked about than put in action. Following the onset of COVID-19, Do you think higher education is really ready to change and really ready to transform? Wonderful question, Liz, and I I share exactly your observation. I've been attending Nakubo conferences all across the country, presenting with the ABC Insights members for the past five years. And the theme has always been, it's time to make your university more efficient and effective. It's time to change your business model. You had the economic models study with Nakubo. And to a certain extent, they were listening. 
especially the public institutions like regionals, especially who are having a lot of pressure and some declining, declining support from particular states. So, yes, there was some change taking place on a macro basis, though. I've done research and the spending has not decreased significantly even since the last recession. You would have thought it caused us to be, be, become much more aware of our cost structures and making our universities more efficient and being very careful about investments. But it seems that there's a pattern of insulation in higher ed that I don't see in other industries I've studied, where they feel that, that, that they can just continue with the same investments they've had before, add more FTEs, add more spending with because they'll get more enrollments, more tuition, and more government support. Well, needless to say, all of that has come to a screeching halt with the pandemic. So this one is, is even unlike anything we've seen in higher ed. This isn't just economic resources are down. This is the business models being questioned, the way you deliver, the value to deliver, the requirement to be on campus. The cost of the education is really coming under scrutiny. So I truly believe this could be the impetus for the needed change that, that is overdue, quite frankly, Liz, in higher ed to make us more efficient, but simultaneously making us more effective to deliver better value for students. So you've focused uh, bringing tactical and practical approaches, I believe, to solving and meeting some of these challenges with our business officers. Why the business office? Is the business office the place to start tackling these pressure points? Well, I believe that's the most receptive audience. Also, I was a trustee at St. Francis University, so I, I have some experience with boards, and I've done programs for AGB. I've, I've also worked with presidents at the APLU and ACE associations, and, and I've delivered to them and spoken to a lot of presidents. And then I've dealt, dealt with uh, CFOs, primarily through NACUBO and, and related regional agencies like WACUBO and other agencies, and, and even done some system work with SHEO. But so I think the boards are going to be increasingly putting pressure. So they would speak this language, but there's often tension between boards and universities. And, and for a lot of reasons, I don't even want to get into. But the presidents uh, who are should be the leaders of change, most of them have come from an academic background and realize I'm a professor. I believe in academics, but I also understand the administrative mindset. So the presidents, it's very hard for them to go gangbusters about change management at an institution, especially if, if it involves examining uh, faculty productivity and decreasing programs because our industry is very inert and it's very difficult to discontinue anything that's been started. So the presidents have some, and they're trying to balance the boards and the whole campus. So really the CFO has become, in my opinion, a very important, the CBO, CFO, a very important change agent. So they have to understand the return on investment. They have to understand where the investments go. They have to understand how to measure success, how to ensure student success and university outcomes. And they have to be able to want, be the ones to translate the effort being done on campus to the strategy. So that's kind of why I think they're a critical linchpin, but they can't make all this change themselves, especially because this will involve more than just administrative transformation. That's what ABC Insights has focused on, but now we've moved to the academic side. We merged with Helio Campus, which helps with enrollments, which helps with academic contribution margin analysis and programs. They've got to work as partners, especially with the provost's office, for the kind of change we need to survive this, this pandemic situation. 
with the focus uh, on business officers and conversations with these many other audiences and the many months now that we have had since the onset of the pandemic, how are universities responding? What are you learning from what college administrators have to say? And what is the data telling you? I'm glad you asked that. We, we just completed a, a very expansive research study of all the announcements made uh, by universities related to two things, actually three things, what kind of tuition changes they're doing on their campuses. Two is what kind of financial impact uh, this this is having on there in terms of revenue hits. And, and number three, what strategic actions are taking. Now, I've done a few surveys with AACNU of presidents over the summer asking what they plan to do. And, and, and I've analyzed that and disseminated that through Chronicle of Higher Ed articles and our website, uh, abc-insights.com. ABC but the, the bottom line is, it's a difference between what you say you're going to do and what you actually do. So the research now that I'm seeing that, that we're in the process of getting published uh, is, is actually indicating that um, they are taking action. So my first reaction to you, Liz, is I'm seeing more action related to making the universities more efficient. But paying attention to cost control than I've ever seen before. Can you give a few examples of, of what that action looks like? Yeah, the primary actions, you know, that most universities are taking are to freeze hires. That, that's a, a pretty quick one. Uh, reductions in, in pay for senior executives, about half the universities are taking those sorts of steps. 70% or more are taking the uh, freezing hires. You know, otherwise it's just, oh, everybody always wants more FTEs. We got, we got to stop that until we get our arms around where we really do need more FTEs. Um, basic cost control mechanisms around decreasing travel. Of course, that, that came kind of by default, but, uh, decreasing unnecessary purchases and delaying capital expenses. So very pragmatic is the use your words list. Uh, very pragmatic strategies for cost control. So I think see that as a positive. I wish they would have done that even before this prompting. But you know what? Sometimes it takes a macro change to institute kind of change that to institute the the impetus for the kind of change that you know you had to do. And it also gives you cover to go to your campus and say, we've got to tackle this together. And, and, and so you can get the attention. You want a visionary leader who sets out, here's what we could become, and here's how we have to work together to get it. So on the positive side, Liz, there is action. They're paying attention to it. But in my opinion, they're underestimating the true impact this is going to have on our campuses, as well as the magnitude of the change they need to make. So they might be going, on average, we're seeing about a 9% financial hit uh, to budgets, which is unheard of, right? That's never happened in our industry to have across so many institutions. And there's a range, by the way, of about, you know, 0.3% to 35%. So some are, you know, th this ranges by your type of institution, what's happening to your enrollments, whether you have students on campus or not right now. So there's a, a state support varies. The state support is going to get worse, that the announcements have not come through about how bad the state's revenues are and how that will trickle to decreases in state support. And the government, the federal government has not come through. I wrote an article for the Chronicle that says we need $80 billion and here's exactly how to use it to transform higher ed. Uh, of course, we haven't received that just yet. So we are taking actions, but my, my biggest concern is, is two things. One, it's not enough action. It's not big enough. And this, and, and it, and it's, it's not including academic, uh, examining academic programs, which we covered in the masterclass. But two is we're forgetting about the growth side. So, so you can't cut your way out of a situation like this. You can't just hug her down and, and forget about doing the things you do great. 
So what we should be doing simultaneously is growing new programs, expanding your online capabilities, uh, doing mergers with other institutions because we have oversupply in some cases. Do Be creative and make moves during tough times because when you come out, you'll get much better returns. Well, would you say that's how colleges and universities can protect and maintain their research and education mission? Because if, you, if you're just taking a, uh, a hiring freeze, reduction in pay, decreased travel, delay expense approach, I think a critic or a faculty member perhaps might say, yes, but we have to protect the, the overarching mission of the institution. So can you spend a little more time talking about that growth side and how that helps enhance and support um, research education and public service? Uh, it, it, uh, absolutely. And, and by the way, the, the traditional faculty response that, that you just cited, which is very traditional, you can't touch our core mission of teaching and research. I agree that's a core mission. I think we lose sight of the teaching portion of it sometimes in certain research institutions because that is really the core. We're supposed to be changing people's lives uh, and when they come through our, our experience. But the research is also a critical part of many universities' identities, not all, but many. What happens, though, is, is that that excuse gets overused. So, it, so instead of allowing the examination of productivity of our research, productivity of our teaching, to look at loads, to, to, to look at class sizes, to look at programs. We, we carry programs on even with when the market doesn't need the or want those programs anymore. And that's, that's because often we're faculty driven. And I'm a faculty, so I get it, but be more student driven. You got to ask yourself questions about true demand for programs as well as the, the profitability of those programs, which is something they don't want to get into too often. So you need to push back on that a little bit when they say don't touch teaching and, and research. But, but to your other point, what we need to do is be more focused and prioritize which areas we excel in. And instead of trying to, to just be generic or look just like another institution, find differentiation. And as a strategy professor, that's the key to success. Decrease the number of programs you have, but make them great and, and expand the reach. Decrease the research topics you explore, but go deeper and find the ones that fit your faculty best or that fit your university's mission best. Uh, so, so it really, you know, the, the, if you just say our mission, which I've read a lot of mission statements and vision statements, I help universities do that. And I help uh, a lot of uh, units on UNC's campus, even 50 of them. You don't say our mission is ed we educate and we do research, teaching and service because everyone does that to a certain extent. What is it that you do that's unique? And then invest in programs that help you stand out in those areas. I'm curious, uh, what else is the data showing you about what's been happening on campuses? Did we, did we cover where some of the latest research is, is uh, identifying uh, either good or bad actions? There's a cost containment strategy, and then separately is an investment and growth strategy. On the cost containment, some of the data that, that we've been looking at, again, at ABC Insights, we have 54 universities who are part of our consortium. And what we do is we take their administrative labor data, and then we do activity-based costing analysis to tell them where they're spending it. And then we allow them to not only track it across their institution by school, uh, central and decentral, we allow them to compare all that FTEs and spend to other institutions. The kind of insights they're coming out with related to this is one general insight is that, as you you know this and most of the listeners would, about 70% of a university's investment is human capital. 
And about 60% of that is on the faculty, faculty and coaches side versus the, you know, the non-administrative versus administration. So administration might be 40%, it might be 60% of your FTEs, but only 40% of your payroll. So everybody seems to go there first. In all of my surveys, the presidents and the CFOs said, we're going to start with administrative cost cutting. We're going to look at our personnel. We're, we're going to see if who, where, where we can make cuts in, in, in this area. And that's a natural place to go. But many universities are indeed lean. There, there have been rises, especially in sort of the, you know, the assistant chancellor, associate provost, you know, those, those levels no doubt have grown a lot, sometimes due to compliance requirements of government and other reasons, but also sometimes just due to let's put another body on it um, and not trying to be efficient. But the other thing we see a lot, Liz, is that the units on campuses, then the decentral units, all the schools have built up their own redundant administrative structures. So, so we are seeing the data suggest where we're seeing the most inefficiencies are, are in certain places like IT, finance, communications, even HR. Our data show that about 65% of the spend in HR, and it's not just people with HR titles, it's people doing HR activities is out in the units. And, and, and if they're not properly trained to do recruiting and training and hiring and things like that, you might have compliance risk. So a lot of our members and what we're advising them to do is find ways to pull transaction-based activities to, to your central. We're even talking to systems now uh, much more frequently about pulling things from the university to the system and let them run it really efficiently, spend less, but do higher quality and serve them, especially transaction things, and let the units have more strategic people and analytical people to make better decisions. I think there there needs to be an effort on the administrative side. That's what we specialize with. Centralization is a big theme, looking for redundancies. But eventually, we have to tackle the academic side, too. And, and one, the last master class we had with, with Nakubo and ABC Insights uh, went into that. It was a great session, uh, and it's one of the hardest things to do, unfortunately. You're seeing these questions about tuition changes, deep dives into the financial impact. Let's talk a little bit about strategy. Have you seen uh, any standout strategies from any institutions or are there practices you believe that some college and university administrators should take, uh, should pay more attention to and make a larger investment in? Yeah, I, I've seen some some great ones. You know, one that everybody seems to talk about, and I'm clearly a, a fan. Arizona State University is a member of our consortium. Michael Crow is just a super innovative leader. So over a decade ago, you know, he and the and the team decided to expand online education to redefine their mission, Liz, as inclusive versus exclusive. And that may sound very basic, but that's huge. We're going to define ourselves not by the percent of students we turn down, but by the percent we accept and then how we advance. I, that gives me goosebumps. I know you can't see it on an audio podcast, but think about that. I mean, that was a fundamental change in strategy. And then with that change in positioning and mission, you've created a vision to be, have the, be the largest university in terms of students. And, and guess what? They are. I mean, they're, they're like over 140,000 students. The way to make that happen was through big investments in online education before it was the thing. So, so that, that's just one. Everybody can't copy that, but that's a great example. Another one is Kent State. You know, they're, they've been faced with enrollment declines for, for many years, decreasing uh, dollars. Just, the state was supporting them, but on a per student basis, it was getting pretty tight. 
And so uh, they joined ABC Insights because every hiring decisions now that they make on the administrative side, they run through an, with an ABC Insights analysis to see if we really need more people at that position. Because in the heyday, no one ever says, I need fewer FTEs this year. They always need more. So that was a great example of using data. And you guys support this with all your analytical initiatives to use data and decision making. Another one was Temple University. Temple has uh, another member of ABC Insights has has done two things. One, they examine their benchmarking on the administrative services, but they also check effectiveness. So they do surveys of people to say, how happy are you with the service you're getting? And that way they can do a two by two that measures effectiveness in terms of satisfaction of the key constituents who use administrative services with their benchmarking comparisons to see if something's out of line in either way. And that gives you very actionable strategies for what you need to prioritize your change. So those are just a few. Example, Simmons College, I, I, I was on a webinar um, with the, their past president. She's not there anymore, but they made dramatic cuts in programs. They made big switches to online small institution, and, and they, they, they did this with, uh, with the faculty engaged. It was a hard process, uh, but they forced prioritization. We have to do less, and we should do the things that fit our mission and our identity. Well, you've raised so many themes that we could take a deep dive into from uh, talking about the value of centralization at a college or university. That's that's a theme and a question that you see explored, not just across colleges and universities, but across the nonprofit sector and deeply in the business sector. I love some of the examples you gave of what's going on at certain institutions. And the example of Arizona State University, I think, is a a terrific way to illustrate how concerns about access, completion, and success of students overlays with the strategic finance goals that the institutions have. I also like your example of flat out stating that customer service should be a perspective or angle that we take as we look at what business and administration offerings are at an institution and that can help address the overall quality and success of an institution. But what I want to ask you more about is the mention of online learning and Arizona State being ahead of the pandemic and ahead of the game and looking at online education as a way to both address strategic finance and uh, student success. How has the pandemic changed thinking about online education at institutions that perhaps weren't so quick to embrace it prior to March of 2020? I was a little busy this past summer. I wrote 13 articles for the Chronicle of Higher Ed about these topics, but one of them was about this exact idea of, of uh, I think I wrote, you should plan in like April or May, I wrote, you should plan for an online semester in the fall, no matter what. In other words, even if you aren't online, you should build competencies between now and then so you can offer online. And, and that way, instead of hoping that you're not online, the, the, one of the biggest problems is that quality online programs are not take your professor and just Zoom it to the student. It, it takes so much more than that. I've developed, the, the UNC was one of the early uh, online MBAs at the Keenan Flagler School of Business, still one of the top five. And and I've developed some of these programs and I've taught in them. That you have to put tremendous effort to have a high quality interactive experience. It's not just taking your content and then putting that same professor. I mean, you, the work that it takes to do quality pod, podcasts, multiply that times 10 because you have more more content you have to coordinate and you have to do all the modules. And so it's an expensive proposition. It's, and, and so it takes 
Uh, it takes a lot of hard work to build that competency. I'm afraid that most institutions are not going to realize the opportunity they have to actually change their business model to, to incorporate more flexibility into the normal programming. Like I'm teaching online this semester and I love it. And, and, I, and I have more flexibility than the students love it. I think we should have a lot more options like that. But the students, of course, like the on-campus experience. So we need to increase that. We need to find the right programs. We do not need redundant programs all over the place. Just like we have redundant faculty who do in-person classes, we need five biology professors teaching similar content, but just a little bit different. And we're paying them all full professor. We should be more efficient with this and have master content leaders and have different distribution models. And we should collaborate more between universities. That, that's one of the themes I wrote. We should have a national clearinghouse where, and there are some efforts toward this, where you can find great content and then have a, a local faculty member at a lower price point who can bring it to life, who can interact with the students, but not all creating such similar redundant content all the time. So we, we'd have to kind of, uh, I, I think universities should be more creative about partnerships. You know, partner with with Arizona State, partner with people who have content and find a way to bring their content and you do local delivery so you don't have to incur the excessive cost to create it all from scratch. So so partnerships are being important that you have to make the right levels of investment. I served as a special advisor to the provost at UNC for online education to put a plan together about how many programs we should do and which ones and how much it would cost. And it is expensive. And there are OPMs out there who can help you, but they often take 50% or more of the revenue. And sometimes that's not even a terrible choice because they do the development for you. They do the marketing. They do the enrollments in student services. So uh, make moves in online. Don't pick the right space. Look at partnerships uh, and don't be satisfied with Zoom-based, but also don't just go back to what you did before once this thing is over. You Use this as a jumping off point to offer new things including changing what your current offerings are on your residential campus. Paul, I think you've made it clear that not only was there a pre-existing need for transformation, that this crisis has forced transformation at a lot of institutions, and it has actually forced some dramatic action on the part of a number of colleges and universities. It's also opened up some opportunity for creativity at institutions, and, and you just shared partnerships being one example of something that institutions should be doing or should be exploring. Is there any other uh, advice, or do you have any other recommendations that you'd like to share that institution leaders or even policymakers should be thinking about uh, as we make our way to 2021? My first general thought is this will require courageous leadership. This is leadership at the national level to put the right type of investments into higher ed to help them make the changes at the campus level to be a president or a chancellor who says we need to change and set a, a compelling vision uh, to be specific about what we can become and, and to be realistic about the financial challenges. That's where the CFO's office comes in. Don't sugarcoat it and underestimate. You know, go for it. Go ahead and say it's going to be a 20% financial hit over the next two years. And then rally the troops to find a way to deal with that. In fact, overshoot the cut so that you can free up resources to make good investments because the other piece of courageous, invest, uh, courageous leadership and the vision is don't forget the growth side. 
So this can't just be a cost containment strategy. You need to grow and increase your impact of what you do. So that's kind of my first one about like the, the leadership challenge. The second thing is to use data better. We have data all over the place, but we don't use it well. And in some cases, we don't have the right data. That was really the inspiration for ABC Insights. Help help provide relevant activity-based costing data so you can see across your campus what people are working on, how much it costs, and how it compares. We're, we're behind most industries. We're, we're modeled after healthcare, which uses benchmarking in every decision, both for resource allocations and performance monitoring. And, and, and so, you know, iPads is a start, but, but, you know, there are all kinds of challenges with making that actionable. So, so, so th- this, our effort is just one. Nakubo has other efforts as well. And, and we have to work collaboratively to, to, to get better data. Most universities are, are, are getting better about that, thinking about analytics. Helio Campus does all kinds of analytics. You need to build a, a decision-making infrastructure that gives you the relevant data in a timely basis for the right kinds of decisions. So courageous leadership, better data for your decision-making. And my third is, let's do this collaboratively. Let's do this collaboratively. Let's, let's don't have red versus blue. Let's don't have system versus university. Let's don't have university leadership versus deans. And we need, we can't have these battles. We, we have to all come together and say, let's co- solve a common problem and let's be creative and let's work together. Let's use some metrics. We all, you know, some key metrics. Let's just break down these walls, even between the universities. We're in it together. We don't need so many, but we'll probably also see consolidation um, because we probably have overinvestment in physical infrastructures for the demand, which is anticipated to decline just from steady state over the high school students over the next five to eight years. So, so we better we better keep moving on this and, and let's help each other. Paul, I love that your final comments there made me think, that's right, this is not the Death Star versus the Rebel Forces. Uh, We are all in this together. And to achieve the goals and missions that we have for education, for access, completion, success, for research and advancing where university-based science can take us and for public service, we do have to work together and we have to think about transforming our institutions. And transformation means both uh, looking at cost controls and looking at where we do need to grow in response to the, the future of where where we're headed, uh, uh, frankly, as a nation and globally. This has been a terrific uh, conversation. I know there's so much more we can explore, but I want to thank you for spending this time with me and for bringing leadership to the Masterclass series that we're currently offering uh, through Nakubo and in collaboration with you and ABC Insights. And I guess, Paul, one last question. Is there any uh, short final comments that you'd like to make? No, I want to say thank you to Nakubo. I mean, you, you, you play a very important role in, in pulling these business officers together. Uh, you go beyond that in terms of your scope. Your leadership goes at a national level through through uh, Susan and others in your efforts in terms of policy and change. So uh, thank you for fighting for higher ed. It's, it's not easy and it, it's an industry that's slow to change, but it's critically important. The, 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 every investment in higher ed and, and, and that students make, you know, is seven to 10 times the economic impact. And we can't slow this down. We've just got to do it differently. So thank you for these programs. Thanks for the, working with me on the master class programs. I hope we do more of those. 
And um, thanks for being collaborative yourself. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Nakubo in Brief. 